Pizza was good. Uh, how many of you got some soda? Where's, where's our soda drinkers? I know some of you got soda because by the time I got down there, the Mountain Dew voltage was gone. Who had the Mountain Dew voltage? I'm telling you, I, don't y'all fall asleep, okay? If you had Mountain Dew voltage, no snoring, all right? You got to stay awake. And uh, I didn't see any coffee. You know, it's a teen rally, but I didn't see any coffee. So we'll have to talk to the youth pastor about that. But we have had a good time. Do you all still have, do you still have your, those lips? Those of you that did that game, you still have your lips? You got them? Would you be willing to do me a favor? Would you be willing to come up here? Let's get a picture of all of you that had those lips. And that'll be like memorable. I will never forget this youth rally for many reasons, but that's one of them right there. Would you be willing to do that? Come on up. Get, get those lips in there, and let's get a picture to preserve this memory for generations to come. Oh, yeah. Do y'all want to sing a special? <laughs> Who else? Who else has the lips, or did y'all get rid? You threw yours away? Let me guess. You didn't want any memories of that game, huh? But you did a good job, though. I can't believe you threw them away. That'd be a souvenir. All right, here we go. Let's see. Let's get, let's get a man. Let's get a big smile. Brother Caleb, you got a picture? Yes, I love this. You know what the beauty is? You don't have to. You just have to look good like you're doing. All right, y'all smile here at the camera. Smile with your eyes. All right, here we go. Look at that. Oh, let's give him a big hand. That, that was a good game. Oh, my. And then how about the Miller family singing? That was so good. Let's give them a big hand. You, uh, well, brother and Mrs. Miller, you did great. But boys, you were awesome. And please keep on singing for Jesus, okay? And uh, that is so wonderful. My girls, they don't sing in church. I don't know that they could stand still for 10 seconds, you know, let alone like try to remember words and that. But you're doing so good. And then you teens have been such a blessing. Thank you for coming on this Saturday. And I know you're busy with school and you're probably, some of you haven't like done your homework yet for the weekend and you still haven't cleaned your room. And so you got a busy day when you get home, but I'm glad you came. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Caleb for putting on the work for the youth rally and uh, Jen for all your work and for getting the pizza. Let's give Jen a big hand for getting the pizza. She could, have, she could have sat in the parking lot at Domino's and just decided to have her own little personal pizza party, you know, but she brought some back for us. And then again, Pastor Shop, thank you so much. And uh, to the Harvest Baptist Church, thank you for your, your time. I know your time is valuable, and I appreciate you coming out on a Saturday and a Friday night. Um, I don't think this happened. There's no way this happened. But is there anybody in this auditorium this afternoon that stayed up and watched the entire game last night of no way, brother. What what time? 3:30 a.m. 18 innings. And the final score was two to one, right? Oh, three to two. Three to two. I I'll be honest with you, I should not have done this. But last night I was finishing up some study and I talked to my wife for a while and then I, I turned the game on. The, the, the TV up there, it's got the channel. And I was watching the World Series up here in this uh, prophet's chamber, and it was one-to-one. -one. And I was watching through the sixth inning, the seventh inning, the eighth inning, and I'm, I made a decision. If this thing goes into extra innings, I'm going to bed. Because it's one thing if teenagers fall asleep at a youth rally, that's one thing. But when the preacher <laughs> falls asleep during a youth rally, that's another thing. And I didn't want that to happen. So I went to bed 
at, uh, it was about midnight and about, about the end of the, the, the ninth inning, I think it was about midnight, and I went to bed. I don't know what woke me up, but about two o'clock, I woke up, and I don't know what possessed me, but I thought, you know what? I wonder if the game's over. So I pulled out my phone and I clicked on the ESPN to see the score. I couldn't believe it. It was the 13th inning and it was still going. I woke up this morning about six o'clock and I looked at my phone and I could not believe my eyes when it said 18 innings. And all right, brother, I'm assuming you're a Red Sox fan. Good. Okay, because if you were a Red Sox fan and you stayed up till 3.30 in the morning, you'd have been disappointed. Uh, because the Dodgers won, but, uh, but we're doing good. We're awake. We're having a good time, and uh, I appreciate so much. I appreciate you coming today. Would you take your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, and then we're going to look at one other passage in uh, 2 Timothy 4. This is the theme verse, and then I'd like to show you one more passage, and that's where we'll kind of spend the rest of our time. But it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, Paul has come to the end of his life, what he thinks is the end. He thinks that he's, his days are numbered. And he says in verse number seven, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, verse eight says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? And I'd like to share with you about a Bible character who did exactly what 2 Timothy talks about. In Hebrews 11, it's the hall of fame or it's the hall of faith chapter. But in Hebrews 11, we find a man by the name of Moses. Now, young people, I got good news for you. Hebrews 11 this is God's, God's uh, reflection on Old Testament saints and the Old Testament saints that lived for God, that made a difference, that did great things. And Hebrews 11, it's got some unusual characters. By the way, one of the characters, his name is Jacob. He was a deceiver. He was a trickster. But he had faith in God and he got right with God. One is David. David committed adultery. But David became a man after God's own heart and he got right with God. The man we're going to talk about today, he was a murderer. His name was Moses. But Moses got right with God and Moses had faith in God. And God recorded Moses in the Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews 11. As a matter of fact, there are more verses about Moses' life in Hebrews 11 than any other Bible character. Abraham was the friend of God, but he doesn't have more verses than Moses. Noah built an ark and saved the whole world, but he doesn't have more verses. Um, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all these great heroes. As a matter of fact, David is just mentioned in passing. Men like Samson and Jephthah, they're just, they're just mentioned in passing, but Moses was a man that God used because he had great faith. But I want you to notice in Hebrews 11, it says in verse number 23, and if you're there, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me? I'd like for us to read verses 23 through verse number 27. Hebrews 11, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Maybe look on with someone that does or you can listen. But I want to show, show you what the Bible says 
about Moses. It says in Hebrews 11, verse number 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time that we could be together this afternoon. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word. And I pray that you'd help us as a, as a people here today that we would respond to the word of God, that we would obey the word of God, and that we would do what the Bible tells us to do. We thank you for the time we've been together. I pray you bless this church, this youth group. I pray you bless the folks from Mountain View. Thank you for them being here as well. And I pray that our lives would be drawn closer to you because of our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I'd like for you to notice in this passage about Moses that Moses was a man who had faith. That's what this whole chapter is about. It's about faith. Faith is what pleases God. Now, you say, well, what is faith? Well, faith is believing something even without seeing it. Okay, now, let me tell you, though. There are evidences that God is real. I've never seen God, but he's real. I like what, what the, the songwriter said. It's a little chorus we used to sing. Don't try to tell me that God is dead. He woke me up this morning. Don't try to tell me that God is dead. He lives within my heart. Brother, he woke you up too, and you stayed up till 3.30 to watch the game, so I know he's real. But don't try to tell me that God is dead. He lives within my heart. He opened up my blinded eyes and he set me on my way. Don't try to tell me that God is dead. I talked with him today. Can I tell you, God is real. I've never seen God, but he's real. I've talked to him. He talks to me. I've never heard him in an audible voice, but I've heard him through the Bible. I've heard him through the Holy Spirit of God that will speak to me and work in me and work through me. It's like, for instance, I've never seen the wind and you haven't seen the wind either. But you've seen the effects of the wind. That wind's blowing. Let me tell you, we just had a couple hurricanes come through North Carolina. Let me tell you, that wind is real. You say, I don't believe it. I've never even seen it. Well, maybe not, but you see the evidence of it. And can I tell you, God is real. And your faith in God has got to be strengthened. You say, how do I get faith? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes from the word of God. You know how to increase your faith if you're going to choose to finish your course? You're going to have to have faith in God. That's what the Bible says. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul said, I believe in this thing. And he said, I believe in God. I believe in his word and I'm going to hang on to it. Moses made a decision very similar. Notice what it says in this passage, verse number 25. What's the first word in verse 25? It starts with a C, right? Choosing. Moses made a choice. Moses never finished his course by accident. Paul never finished his course by accident. But those men and others, they finished their course because they, number one, they made a choice. Can I tell you this? Moses' choice was not an easy choice. You say, well, what was Moses' choice? Moses had 
all that Egypt had to offer. Now, I'll be honest with you, that would be hard for us. If somebody came to you tomorrow and said, I'll give you multi-millions of dollars, but you can't go to church, can't read your Bible, you can't pray, can't do whatever, you gotta live for the devil. But I'll give you millions and millions of dollars. Can I tell you? I hope we wouldn't have to think about it. But I think, I think for some, I think they'd say, ooh, I don't know, it kind of sounds good. Moses had the opportunity to have everything the world had to offer. But Moses made a choice to say no to those things. Notice with me, verse number one. I find the word in verse number 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. The word esteem, it's a very interesting word, but that word esteem, it means to place a high value on something. Like, I don't know what you have on your person. Probably, for most of you, the most valuable thing you have on you right now is probably a cell phone. I mean, that's your lifeline, you know? Uh, for me, I have a cell phone. I actually have an iPad. I don't usually use my iPad, but when I travel some, I'll use it. I have a cell phone. I've got a wallet, not on me. I've got it in the room. Driver's license, all that. But that's not the most valuable thing I have on my person today. Most valuable thing I have on my person that could not be replaced is on this hand, on this finger. It's a wedding ring. You say, oh, that must be really, really expensive. No, it's not that expensive. Maybe a couple hundred dollars. But it's valuable to me because of who gave it to me. My wife gave it to me. It's valuable to me because of what it represents. This was given to me on March 15th, 2002, when my wife and I, when we got married, and I place a high value on this. This is important to me. Well, when Moses esteemed, when he valued the reproach of Christ, he said, I would rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy all the pleasures that you can get from sin. But Moses, before he made the choice, number one, he had to weigh his options. Now, I, I, used, uh, I, I used the example in the earlier service about my mom. And I don't know if Jennifer will remember a lot of this because I know, I know what you're thinking. You think we're about the same age, but <laughs> you don't think that. I'm much older than she is, and all of you did know that. But our mom, she used to, when she'd go grocery shopping, she used to have a, a pouch this thick jam-packed with coupons. She had on that little pouch, she had a little calculator attached. I mean, this was old school. This was back before, you know, cell phones and all your, you know, your lists and your calculator and all. This was old school. But she'd go grocery shopping and mom had coupons for coupons. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, she had it all. She had it, she was down to a science. And we, we had a big family and my dad taught in a Christian school for 20 years and didn't make a lot of money, just serving God, living for God. And so we were on a tight budget. And there was times where, you know, it was things were tight. And so mom would try to save as much money as she could. And by the way, it's a good thing to be a good steward of what you have. But our family, our family had this thing. I don't know if you like this or not, but our family had this thing. We all loved ketchup. Now, I know some of you are, 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 are backslidden and some of you are not right with God. And some of you may not even like ketchup. But let me tell you, Ketchup is where it's at. Can I get an amen? Is there anybody else that likes ketchup? Not many of you, huh? Boy, I've, I've come as a missionary up here to New England. Y'all don't like ketchup. My sister Jennifer, she later in life, she backslid and she got to where she likes ranch dressing on everything, you know? Anybody like ranch dressing? We got a few. How many of you like hot sauce on, oh, oh we got some hot sauce lovers. Oh man, in the South, 
In the South, we put barbecue sauce and gravy and vinegar on like everything. It's great. But we used to like ketchup. My mom, she'd go grocery shopping. She'd go to the ketchup aisle. And when you got a big family, you can't get a little, little small little ketchup bottle. You got to get a big one. You got to get the family size, you know, the value size. And so my mom would pull out the coupons and she would do the math. She'd say, okay, I can get a 64 ounce bottle of ketchup for this price or I can get a 32 for this price. And she'd factor in the coupons and she would get the best deal over a bottle of ketchup. Now, some of you are looking at me like, I don't even like ketchup. I don't even go grocery shopping. And even if I had a calculator, I wouldn't know how to figure those things out. So why in the world are you telling me those things? Here's why. I see people in life, in every stage of life, I see people that weigh their options. They weigh their options with choices that they make, and sometimes it's pretty trivial. Maybe you're weighing your options. Should I get this game system or this game system? Should I get these shoes or should I get these shoes? Ladies, should I get uh, this purse or should I get this purse? And you know how ladies are. You get both of them, right? Or shoes, you get all of them, right? But anyway, you weigh your options in so many things. But here's what I want you to do today. I want you to weigh your options. I want you to weigh your choices when it comes to what you're gonna do with your life. We want you to finish your course. We want you to do what God has called you to do. We want you to do what the Bible says to do. But before you make that decision, I would encourage you to weigh your options. Moses esteemed one of the choices better than the other. But notice the second thing. Not only did he weigh his options, but secondly, he had to say no to one of the options. He had to say no to one of the choices. It says in verse number 24, by faith, Moses refused. He said no. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, sometimes in life, what we want is we want the best of both worlds, don't we? Let's be honest. It's fun at church to blend in with the church kids, but sometimes we get in the school in the week or we get with our friends and we say, man, I want to fit in with them too. I want to tell you, if you're going to live for God, if you're going to finish your course, if you're going to do what God has told you to do and you're going to be a, an obedient Christian, you're going to have to say no to some things. We talked about it earlier. You can't be a good Christian and you can't be having a filthy mouth. You can't be a good Christian and pleasing God and having a bad attitude and being disobedient and disrespectful to your parents. You can't be a good Christian and fill your mind and fill your life with the things of the world. You're gonna have to say no to some things. And Moses, before he could make his choice, he weighed his options, but secondly, he withstood the opposition. He said no to the world. He said no to Pharaoh. He said no to Pharaoh's daughter. He said no to family. He said no to the things of this world. Number three, I see in this passage, verse number 25, Moses said yes. Not only did he weigh his options, he uh, uh, withstood the opposition, but Moses wanted an opportunity. Verse number 25, it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I want to tell you, young people, you've got some choices you're going to have to make today. You've got some choices you'll make this week, this year. Some of you are getting close maybe to graduating or some of you are going to be moving up from middle school to high school. You're going to be making some choices about jobs. You're going to be making some choices about friends. You're going to be making some choices about dating. You're going to be making some choices about college. And I want to tell you, you better weigh your options. You better look down the road a little bit and say, 
how will this choice affect me in a year? How will this choice affect me in five years? And I know that's hard to do because we, have, we just see what's right in front of us, but you gotta weigh your options. Moses weighed his options. Secondly, he withstood the opposition. He said no to the world. Number three, he wanted an opportunity. He said yes to God. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I used to read that verse, Pastor Shaw, and I grew up in a great church, had a great pastor, and I know he preached it right, but I just, I didn't get it. I used to read that verse and think, oh, okay. Moses said, I'll take all that God has in heaven and I'll take all the blessings of heaven and I'll take the joys of heaven and I'll take eternal blessings and I'll say no to the things of this earth. But that's not what verse 25 says. Moses said, if I had to pick down here between what the world had to offer and what God had to offer down here on this earth, Moses said, I would still take what God has to offer. And young people, I want to tell you something. What God has to offer you down here is good. But I want to tell you, it gets better when eternity starts. You see, what God has to offer you down here is joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment. But that's just now. That's just what you experience on this earth. But when eternity starts, for people that know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have an eternity to look forward to in heaven and blessings that even Paul said, your eye has not seen it, your ear has not heard it, you can't even imagine in your mind how good it's going to be in heaven. And Moses said, yeah, I'm looking forward to heaven. But Moses said, I'd rather be a Christian down here. I'd rather live for God down here. I'd rather have the best of what God has to offer in this life. I want to tell you, serving God, it's the greatest life. Amen. You'll never have regrets. You'll never miss out. You'll never look back and say, you know, I remember that teen rally. I remember, I remember Pastor Caleb, you know, did that, that beautiful design with those tennis shoes and said, finish your course. And, you know, here I am, I'm in my 20s and I'm still in church and I'm still serving God and I'm still reading my Bible and I'm still praying. And, you know, I think I missed out on a lot of parties. I think I missed out on a lot of drugs and I think I missed out on a lot of fun and boy, I, I wish I could go. You'll never ever in a million years have those regrets. But I tell you what, you will have regrets if you don't finish your course. You will have regrets if you live for the world and you find out the hard way that what the devil has to offer you, he just shows you the very, very best up front and it goes downhill quick because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. And you know what happens after the pleasure wears off? The price tag sets in. And can I tell you, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Sin has consequences and sin always leaves scars. Moses made the choice. I didn't bring them with me. Sometimes I carry, I carry a few pieces with me, but I have a, about three or four checkers pieces and we were talking about paper, rock, scissors. You know, some of us don't know how to do that, but how many of you teenagers, how many of you have ever played, not on computer, not on cell phone, not on a video game. How many of you have actually played checkers on a checkers board? Let me see your hands. Most of you, I'm impressed. Y'all are my heroes. You can put your hands on. I was afraid. I was afraid that you had not played this. You know how to play checkers, right? So, sort of. Now, how about how many of you know how to play chess? Anybody know how to play? Whoa, we got some chess players. Okay, well, then you're, you're good on checkers then. But my wife and I, when we were in college, Brother Miller, when you and your wife came you're much younger than we are, but when you came, I think we already had the 
we already had the gym. Gym was built. And we had the, you know, um, golden grill and all that, that stuff there at the college. When my wife and I were in college, we didn't have any of that stuff. We had, I remember when we were there, they built a, a racquetball court and we would put up a net and we would play volleyball. Has anybody ever played volleyball? That is actually really, really cool and really fun. Most people have never played it. But anyway, we didn't have all that stuff. And so my wife and I had just started dating and we had a ping pong table. And I think we maybe had, maybe had a dartboard in the game room. We didn't have any of that stuff. And we didn't have, get this, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah, I know it. It's like dark ages. I mean, we didn't have all that kind of cool stuff, you know, like you have. So I decided, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have a fun, enjoyable evening together. I went and got some pizza or something for us. And I went to Walmart, silly me. I went to Walmart and I bought a checkers board. I thought, you know, that'd be fun. It'd be kind of, you know, bonding time. Me and my wife get to know each other. Just playing a, a nice, casual, relaxing, fun, enjoyable game of checkers. It was fun for a while because I was winning. And by the way, how many of you know when you're winning, it's fun? Amen to that? Come on now. I was winning. Well, I got a friend of mine. He actually is our assistant pastor now and a friend of me and a friend of my wife and he was in college with us and he came to me one day. He said, Jeremy, he said, uh, have you been beating Joanna at checkers? <laughs> I said, of course, you know. I mean, what do you expect? He said, Jeremy, he said, I don't know. He said, I'm just telling you. He said, I think she's letting you win. He said, because I've played against her in checkers. that she is really, really good. And then I'm starting to kind of, my wheels are turning. I'm thinking, no, no way. She would not even be doing that. She wouldn't be like letting me win just to make me feel good. You know what I mean? And so then one day, sure enough, I said, now, Joanna, listen, you know, just give it your best. You know, let's, let's really, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to do your best. You won't hurt my feelings or whatever. <laughs> well, that was a lie. <laughs> she beat me at checkers. And do you know, we have been married now for 16 years and we have not owned a checkers board in 16 years. You know why? My marriage is more valuable than a game of checkers. And when she beat me, I was like, this is not good. This is not good for the you know, husband-wife dynamic here. So we got rid of the checkers. But there was a boy that was very good at checkers long before video games. His name was Tommy. And Tommy was actually in his small town, in his small community. He was kind of like a hometown hero kind of guy. And they had little checkers matches and things that they would have in that community. And Somebody heard about an old, old retired man who at one time had also been a very good checkers player. So they said this would be a great event for the community. We'll get Tommy. He was about 13, 14. And we'll get this elderly man. He was in his 80s at the time. And they said, let's have a checkers match and let's invite the whole town and kind of make it just good for the community. So they set the match and they had the checkers uh, match taking place there at the corner cafe in town. And Tommy was fired up. And he was, he was confident he had been winning checkers tournaments and checkers competitions, and, and he was really good. To be honest with you, it was no joke. He was good. But they set the match, and Tommy was there early, and he was in his place, and boy, he was ready to go, and he was on his side of the table, and the older gentleman was not even there. And somebody thought, well, he probably forgot, or he probably just decided not to come, and so they were waiting and checking their watches, and then they saw him coming down the road. Oh, he's coming. Good. Everybody was cheering, and he came, and he got situated on his side of the table. They began to play checkers, 
And Tommy got off to an early lead, you know, and Tommy's loving it, man. He's just so fired up. He's thinking, this is awesome. Everybody's watching me, and I'm going to beat this, uh, this, this gentleman at Checkers. And, and they just played, and Tommy took a couple pieces. And the older gentleman didn't say a word. He didn't, didn't really react. He just stared at the board. Tommy took another piece or two, and Tommy was winning. And it began to look like it was going to be embarrassing for this older gentleman. But then this older gentleman, almost out of nowhere, he picked up his piece and he began to jump Tommy's pieces and he got to the end of the board. And when he got to the end of the board, if you've played checkers much, you know what you say. You say, king me or crown me. And Tommy was shocked. Tommy's like, how did that happen? I was winning. And within a matter of a few moments, that man had completely turned the game around and that older gentleman beat Tommy, Tommy the checkers champion, he beat him and Tommy was dumbfounded. Tommy was shocked. He had no idea what happened and he, he asked the man, he said, sir, he said, please, he said, help me with this. He said, I've been playing checkers and I've been winning and he said, and all of a sudden, he said, you beat me and he said, what's your secret? He said, how did you beat me at this checkers match? And the old gentleman said to Tommy, he said, Tommy, sometimes... You've got to be willing to give up a few pieces in order to get the crown. And he was talking about checkers. But I'm not talking about checkers now. I'm talking about the Christian life. There's going to be some times in life where you're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to be willing to give up some things that at the time they might seem like you need them. But can I tell you this? When you give up a few things in life, and you give up maybe some friends or you give up some pleasures or you give up some habits and you give those things up in order to get the heavenly crown, you'll have no regrets. And you may have to give up a few pieces, but let me tell you, it's worth it when you get the crown. It's worth it when you finish your course and you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Moses made his choice. Moses weighed the options. He withstood the opposition. He said no to the world. He wanted an opportunity. He said yes to Christ. But then I want you to notice, and I'm done. Verse number 27. The Bible says, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Now, that word forsook is an interesting word. Because up until this point, Moses has made a choice that he's leaving Egypt, but he hasn't acted upon it yet. Right now, it's just a decision. It's kind of like you. You're at a youth rally, and you've made some decisions in your head. Maybe today, and maybe you came to an altar, and you said, God, I'm making a decision. I'm going to give up these friends. I'm going to stay away from this crowd. I'm going to give up this music. I'm going to stay away from the alcohol. I've got these friends who I know are, have some friends that are doing drugs, and I'm staying away from that. I'm staying away from this immoral and this wicked and perverse lifestyle. And God, I've made that decision. Wonderful. That's the first step. You've made a decision, but now it's time to act upon it. And Moses made a decision to finish his course. He made a decision to serve God. But in verse 27, now he's acting upon it. I, I don't know how it happened, but in my mind, I picture kind of like 2018. I picture Moses going to his wing of the palace and I don't know if he had a suitcase or I don't know if he had a duffel bag or if he had a backpack or what, but I picture Moses going to his area, his room, throwing some belongings in a suitcase, zipping it up, throwing it over his shoulder. And I picture Moses walking out of the palace and saying, see you later, alligator. 
after a while, I don't know what he said, but I see, I picture Moses leaving. He had to leave. He forsook Egypt. He got out of there. Can I tell you what he did? He walked out. He said, I've made a choice to say no to the world. I've made a choice to say yes to God, and I am leaving Egypt. I'm walking out of Egypt. He acted upon it, but notice the rest of verse number 27. It says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he, what's that next word? Endured, as seeing him who is invisible. Not only did Moses make a decision, not only did he act upon a decision, but I love this, he stuck with the decision. The Bible says he endured, that means he didn't quit. That means he didn't get to church Sunday and then by Wednesday he'd already gone back on his decision. That means he went to teen camp, he made a decision and by Christmas time he was still acting upon the decision and he was still sticking with the decision. Even when he didn't feel like it, he was reading his Bible. Even when it wasn't popular, he was praying. Even when his friends weren't going to church, he was going to church. He acted upon it and he stayed with it. Not only did he walk out, but he walked on. He just kept going. Now, I think, this is my personal opinion, but I think that's the reason that God would use Moses 40 years later to lead the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt because Moses made the choice to leave Egypt and he stuck with it. And God said, if Moses can make the choice to leave, I think he can make the choice to lead everybody else out too. But you say, well, how did Moses do it? You know, it sounds good. He stuck with his decision, but how do you stick with the decision? How do you stay with it when it gets tough? How do you stay with it when it's hard? How do you stay with it when maybe your family doesn't stick with it? How do you stay with it? Brother uh, Miller was at, uh, at Bible college and his wife and Caleb and Jen, they were at Bible college and my wife and I were there earlier, but, but, but how do you stick with it? You know, Pastor Schott, you've been serving God for here at this church for over 30 years. How do you stick with it when other people quit? How do you stick with it when other people let you down? How do you stick with it when, when people are not faithful like they should be? Well, notice what it says in verse number 27. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Well, who's that? I'm so glad you asked because Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us who that is. It says in Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race, the course that is set before us, Verse 2 says, by looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, wait a second. We're supposed to endure. How are we going to endure? We keep our eyes on Jesus, and he already endured the cross. He already paid the price. He's already been down the road. You say, Pastor Jeremy, how am I going to finish my course? Well, because Jesus has already finished the course ahead of you. And then he comes back. What's your name, brother? Avian. Avian, come on up here, Avian. Avian's looking. Here's, this is the course here. He's got a long way to go. Hang on right there. I'm going to represent Jesus. I've already been through the cross. I've already been to the end. I've already done it. I've already endured. And then Avian's looking and saying, well, how do I do it? Well, somebody else has already done it. But here's the beauty. Jesus doesn't leave you to do it alone. Jesus says, hey, let's do this thing together. You getting tired, Avian? That's okay, I'm with you. Hey, you getting discouraged, Avian? That's okay, I'm with you. And can I tell you, when you got Jesus on your side, 
You never walk alone. And when you've got Jesus with you and you keep your eyes on him, you can endure because Jesus endured for you. Ava, you can have a seat. Good job. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm challenging you on this closing message of our youth rally. I'm encouraging you and I want to challenge you to finish your course. You got to make a choice. Then you got to act on the choice. But then once you act on that choice, you got to stick with it. Can I tell you, that's where the joy comes. They have in Boston, as you very well know, they have marathons. Can I tell you, they have awards that they give out for the marathon. But in order to get the award, in order to get the medal, in order to get the recognition, in order to get the trophy, you got to finish. You got to finish your course. And I want to tell you, young people, you're not in a race with the next person. You don't have to compare yourself with somebody else in your youth group. You just have to keep your eyes on Jesus and do what he's called you to do and say like Paul, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Lord, I pray that you take these truths and this message this afternoon. I pray that it'd be a blessing. I pray that it'd be a help. Lord, I pray that these young people would decide today that they're going to finish. And then, Lord, once that decision is made, I pray that they would act upon it. Lord, I pray for all of these teens. I pray that they would be in church tomorrow. I pray they'd be in their teen youth group. I pray that they'd be in every service. Lord, I pray that they would be at every youth activity that they possibly can be at. I pray that they would be at every every service that the church has as much as is possible. I pray that they would make a decision to get up tomorrow morning and read the Bible. I pray they'd make a decision to pray. I pray they'd make a decision about their friends and about their, uh, their entertainment and, Lord, what they're going to do and what they're going to say yes to and what they're going to say no to. And then, Lord, once they've made a decision, I pray that you'd help them to act upon it. And then, Lord, once we act upon it, I pray that you'd help us to stick with it. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us not to get weary. Help us not to quit. But help us to keep our eyes on you. And may we finish our course. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you this afternoon, this is our last message, our last invitation. I wonder if God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just need to make the decision. Maybe you've never truly, seriously made a decision to say, I'm going to live for God. Whatever God wants for me, I want to do it. With heads bowed, eyes closed. Tell me and say, Pastor Jeremy, you're talking to me right now as far as I know.